Incarnation from the sermon series Faith Foundations, spoken by Pastor Peter on. What is Christmas really about? Why are we gathered here together today? Is it just to remember a birthday, Jesus Christ, who's 2,000 years old? Or is there something more deeper than that? I believe pop culture has really taught us what Christmas is about. It's about getting together with your family, friends, buying some gifts, having a real good time. But is there a deeper meaning for Christmas that you and I maybe need to get, get a hold of today? That's even more than what we already know it to be, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. Christmas, at the end of the day, is really understanding the significance of what it meant for Jesus Christ to enter into human history 2,000 years ago. The technical word for that is actually incarnation. Incarnation literally means in the flesh. That 2,000 years ago, God came to the conclusion that we as people are never going to fully understand and comprehend who he truly is, what his love is about for us. And so he tapped Jesus on the shoulder, his son, and he said, you need to now let go of all of your divinity, and now you need to enter and become a man. And he came in the form of a baby. It says in John 1.14, it says that the word of God became flesh. That's what it's about. Now, I know today we kind of live in this virtual world. I know a lot of you don't like going back to work in person. Some of you are still fighting it with your employment because you like working from home. I get that. I do feel like we're sort of maybe several years away, perhaps maybe as I get a lot older, where I think one day we're going to fellowship with one another via not in person or in the flesh anymore, but we're actually going to commune via our avatar. I know that's going to happen. We're heading in that direction. But I'm a little concerned about that because still to this day, I think our culture, you understand how important it is for you and I to connect with one another in the flesh. That just screen time is not enough. We realized that and we learned that during the pandemic, that screen time was just not enough, that there had to be an in the flesh encounter. We realized this and we'll go through extreme extreme lengths to make sure that we can encounter folks in the flesh, right? Now, I... (laughs) We do that especially with celebrities, right? We do that with celebrities. We're willing to do things that are not normal in many ways. How many of you, I didn't know who this person was. How many of you know who Mr. Beast is? Can I see your hands? Yeah, the majority of you don't. Yeah, the kids all know. Mr. Beast is not an X-Men character. I thought he was an X-Men character, but he's not. It's a guy. He's only 24 years old. His name is Jimmy Donaldson. Mr. Beast has 100 million subscribers on his YouTube channel. 100 million. Did you know that back in September, he decided to come to the American Dream Mall right here in Rutherford, New Jersey, and open up his location called Mr. Beast Burger? I don't know if you guys know that. My son came to me one day, and it was Sunday. He's like, we're going to go to the mall today after church. I said, why? He said, Mr. Beast is going to be there. And I said, okay, who is that? He said, this is a guy who is huge on YouTube. He's really famous, Dad. We're going to go after church. I said, okay. He couldn't go because too many people. There were tens and thousands of people there camping outside. Thousands were sleeping outside on the streets. It was crazy. It was crazy just to see him. I mean, he's going to be about that big because they can't even go and meet him. And I just said to myself, why would they do that? They can just watch him on his channel. I'm sure he would be broadcasting it live, right? Why would people go out there? They have people come from Nebraska. They have people get on planes from the Netherlands to see this guy in the flesh. Because they know that there's a difference. There's a difference between seeing and connecting with someone in the flesh via a screen. 
right? My daughter, Christina, is a Swifty. No, no. Swifter? Swifty? Swifty. 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 Gosh. I was practicing that. She loves Taylor Swift. She called me. She texted our family a couple months ago and said, family, I got tickets to Taylor Swift concert. And I said, oh, okay, where? She said, Philadelphia. I was like, Phil, that's far. I said, really? You want to do that? It's in May. She and two of her friends are going to be driving. She said, I need to borrow the car. So she already reserved it, but we're going to go. And I said, but suppose it rains. I mean, it's in a stadium. Suppose you get wet and it's hundreds of dollars. Why would you waste money on that? I was like, it's, I'm sure there's going to be a Netflix special, right? <laughs> I'm sure. You can just watch it on screen. And she said, Dad, I've been waiting for this for a very long time. I need to see her in the flesh, even though from where I'm sitting, she's going to be about this big, right? <laughs> Seriously. You all know the significance of what it means to be in the flesh. And many of you are willing to sleep on streets. Many of you would even watch a concert in the rain just to be in the presence of the person in which you are seeking to connect with. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas, 2,000 years ago, people couldn't really do it. They were trying to connect with God through words and through oral tradition and through the scriptures. But Jesus decided to come in the flesh so that you can connect with his presence. Now, some of you say, well, that was 2,000 years ago, Peter. It doesn't, like, how can we do that now? Though Jesus may not be in the flesh right now, the most beautiful thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ today is that the greatest gift he gave to us was not just his birth, but when he died and resurrected from the dead, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what the gift of the Holy Spirit simply teaches us is this. Though Jesus may not be in the flesh anymore, we can't see him in the flesh, we can still encounter his presence as if he was in the flesh today. Amen? That's the beautiful thing about the Christmas story. And so today as we wrap up, as we wrap up this series on faith foundations, we're going to talk about what is the significance of the incarnation, the Christmas story. How can that really be a pillar, a foundation to your faith and my faith in Jesus Christ, all right? So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 20. Now, before I start there, I just want to set this passage up. At the beginning of chapter 2, Augustus, the Roman emperor, he conducted a census. Censuses were conducted often back in the first century because when you registered, you actually registered to pay taxes to the Roman government. Very important for the government to receive their taxes, as is our government as well. They want you to pay taxes. And so back in the ancient times, in the first century, when you registered for a census, you didn't do it where you resided in. You did it in your ancestral town, where your family is from. And so Joseph was a descendant of King David, and so he had to go. He was living in Nazareth. He had to go to Judea, to Bethlehem, to register for the census. And as he went, Mary was with him. She was pregnant, and guess what happened? Her water broke. She had to give birth to Jesus Christ. They tried to find an inn. They could not find one. And so what happened was that they went to a place, maybe a cave, probably a barn. She gave birth to Jesus Christ. There were no midwives there. Nobody helped her. She gave birth to Jesus Christ. She wrapped him in strips of dirty cloth, and she laid him in a trough, in a manger. This was a drinking bowl where animals would feed from. Our Lord and Savior, who wanted you to encounter the presence of God, personified, on that day came as a vulnerable, naked little boy laid in a manger. That's the beautiful story. And so when that happens, in verse 8, which we're going to pick up from, God says, we need to let some people come and worship my son. And so who do they go to? I'm going to pick it up from verse 8. 
I'm going to pick it up from verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Then the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was just as the angels had told them. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, we're grateful that you have assembled us here today to worship you on your birthday. But Lord, the incarnation is so much more than just celebrating your birth. God, it can transform our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you do only what you can do? I pray for anyone here that has strayed so far, and maybe it's been a while since they've been here, that you would speak so deeply into their heart, and God, that you would draw them to your presence and show them how loved and beautiful they are in your sight. So, God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you, and it's in your name that we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, what is all, what is this incarnation thing all about? Why is it a faith foundation? Why should it be a real deep faith foundation in your life? The first reason why is this. It transforms our unrest into peace. Do you struggle with unrest today? Is there quite a bit of anxiety that you go through in your life? Do you struggle to sleep sometimes and you need to take some medication to help you to sleep? Is there a lot of unrest? I think our society, we're struggling with this at such a huge rate right now. And the Christmas story, the reason why the incarnation is a faith foundation, because it teaches you that your unrest that you might be feeling today, it can be transformed into God's peace. Now the word peace, shalom, what it means is that it means an end to opposition and warfare. So Christmas, when Jesus entered into this world, the capacity for, there, for you no longer to be at war with God, for you no longer to be opposed to God, rose exponentially. Not everyone experiences peace, because remember what the text says in verse 14. Look, let's, let's read verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Whom God is pleased. How is God pleased? God is pleased when you are willing to embrace Jesus Christ in your heart. That's how you please God. When you are willing to welcome the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, you will have peace. You no longer will be in war with God. You no longer will be opposed to God. All of you in this room right now, that I think there's a part of us, if we're just going to be honest on this Christmas day, where all of you are kind of war with God right now. There is a sense of opposition that's happened in your relationship with God. You know why that happens? It happens when you and I continue to try to live our lives where we are in control of it. You see, when you and I want to be in control of our lives, we are at war with God. 
You are directly standing opposed to him. And I get it. We want to take control. We feel like we need to because sometimes we feel like God might not be around or be able to be there for us when we really need him. And so a lot of us, we want to be in control. But that's hostile to God's claim over lordship over us. You see, Jesus Christ is our king. If we know that Jesus Christ is our king, then we are to surrender control of our lives over to him. That's how we have peace when we do that. That you have to be willing to surrender control of your life to him. And when that happens, when you do that, then what's promised is peace. But that peace is you encounter God's presence in a real, real special, tangible way. That you really encounter the very presence of God. When was the last time you really encountered that for your life? When was the last time you had a lot of peace even though you were living in some unrest right now? When was the last time you actually encountered that? Maybe what you could ask yourself was, Are you surrendering yourself fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Christmas gives us an opportunity to surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we get peace. God's presence is peace. I want you to know that. You know, I went out to California to seminary, and I graduated in three years, and I moved back to New Jersey. And this is where I'm from to start the church. At the time, I was living with my father-in-law and mother-in-law in Edison. Christina was just two years old. My wife, Jenny, was pregnant with Kayla. She had a real hard pregnancy. It was hard for her. And because for me, I really thought that uh, because we were living with my in-laws, uh, that they were taking really good care of her. And as soon as we touched ground to New Jersey, I knew I had to hustle because I didn't know if Metro was going to work out. I realized I had about one year to figure out if this thing was going to work or not. And so I knew I had to hustle. I knew I had to work real hard. That I drove to uh, this area, northern Jersey, to Bergen County quite regularly to meet up with different people, to recruit them, to be a part of the core team, all of that stuff. A lot of times I'd go back home really late at night, and when I enter into the home, everyone was sleeping by then. And many times I just would wash up and I just would go to sleep. This one particular night I did that. I got home really late. I washed my hands and I just kind of was a long day. I was tired. And guys, you know when you get tired, you know once you put that, your head down on that pillow, you're going to fall asleep within minutes. I knew that was going to happen. And as soon as I did that, Jenny just says to me, I thought she was sleeping. She scared me. She said, you don't love me. And I was like, whoa. She said, you don't love me. And I said, whoa, man, this is going to be a long night, man. My goodness, I just spent a whole day in ministry. Now I got to deal with this. And that whole night, I want you to know that she was just telling me how I was dropping the ball, that I was not being there for that. I'm not sensitive to what she's going through. And I just said to her the whole time, I said, but honey, you're with your parents. Your mom takes better care of you than me. She's been pregnant before. She can help you with all of this. I was like, do you know that I got to hustle right now? I got to try to start this church. I don't know if it's going to work out. And I just tried to, and all I did was defend myself and try to make her feel bad for having these feelings. And how many times do we do that with God? Because what was she just saying? What was she wanting from me? My presence. All she was saying was, I just wish you were more present here. And all I wanted to do was just to just continue to fight and be strong and not admit the realities of maybe what she might be going through because I was struggling with my own stuff and trying to figure this church thing out, and I was trying to do that. And so what I did was I just kind of was in this place of strength. And that's a dangerous place because when you want to be in control, you're constantly in a place of quote-unquote strength, even though you're not very strong, but you're trying to be strong or project the image that everything in your life is good and strong, but it's not. It's falling apart. 
But for some reason, we have this natural tendency to try to pretend that everything is okay and that everything is good. And I tried to be in control, and there was a struggle there because I couldn't. You see, what God would want from you is that he, you, he wants you to encounter his presence. And I think all of you, I know this on this Christmas Day, that is truly what your heart long, longs for. But it's not going to happen unless you give control of your life over to God. It's just not going to happen that on this Christmas Sunday, you're not going to encounter shalom unless you're going to connect with God in that way. And please understand this. Peace does not happen or doesn't have to happen in a way where God changes your circumstances. All right? Because some of you think that the only way you're going to have peace in your life is when God answers a prayer and transforms some things in your life. If, I, if we're really honest, I think some of us here in this room, you don't want to let God take control over your life because in some ways you want to control God and you kind of want him to be your servant. That's the problem, and that's why we don't have any peace. Listen, God will work with you. He will be for you, but God will never work for you. He's not one of your employees that you dispatch for your own purposes. That's not what God's about. He wants you to surrender yourself to him. Surrender yourself to his kingship, to his lordship. And when you can do that, here's what happens. You experience peace. And what I've learned over the years of my life, that peace doesn't come when God changes a circumstance. Peace happens most of the times in my life when God transforms my perspective. You see, I know some of you are in some dire need right now. Some of you need a real healing. Some of you need a real job. Some of you are struggling. You need a financial breakthrough right? Some of you are struggling in your family relationships, in your marriage. You need something to happen right now in your life. And I'm here to tell you that just because God transforms those things, it doesn't mean you're going to have peace. You can experience the very peace of God regardless if God transforms those circumstances. Because what God truly wants to do is transform your perspective. He wants you to see your life from a different angle in which you're looking at it right now. Because right now it's incredibly myopic. You're just thinking about yourself. And you're thinking that God needs to now work for you and help you to sort of deal with this thing. God wants to be on the throne of your life and wants to see, wants you to look at your life from a different perspective today, if you will. Isn't that what happened with Jesus at Gethsemane? I mean, Jesus was getting ready to die. He didn't want to do it. And so he tells God, he said, God, take this cup away from me. It's like you and me. We ask God to transform a circumstance. What did God do? Did he change it? No. He said, no. What did he do for Jesus? He transformed his perspective. So I'm here to tell you right now that God doesn't have to transform your circumstances. His peace will allow you to see something in your life from a whole different perspective. And sometimes the people that treat you like poo-poo, if you let God transform your perspective, can be the greatest gift in your life. Because they'll teach you how to pick up your cross and follow him. See, Jesus' perspective was so transformed that when he was hanging on that cross and dying, the Roman soldiers were throwing dice and betting if they can get his cloak. And what did Jesus do? He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. See, that's a transformation, not of a circumstance, but of a perspective. Shalom happens on this Christmas day. Unrest will be transformed to shalom, not by God transforming a circumstance in your life, but it's to transform your perspective. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we give control of our lives to God? Here it is. You get you ready for this? Admit your faults and your weaknesses. That's it. If you can admit your faults and your weaknesses, you've given control of your life to God. 
You see, my problem with my wife when we were fighting that night was that I couldn't admit my faults and my weaknesses. I was trying to defend myself because I wanted to be right. I didn't want to be righteous. And so what I did was I defended and I tried to make her see things from my perspective. I thought this argument was like a competition I had to win. And this is the thing. How many of you, honestly, how many of you, your marriage, your lives would be transformed today if you can just admit your faults and your weakness in those situations? Because what, what I should have done is said, yeah, I've dropped the ball. Honey, I really dropped the ball. I'm not, I haven't been a good husband. And one of the reasons why, honey, is because, like, I don't know what I'm doing with this church plan. I'm under a lot of stress right now. I have no idea. I don't know why God called me to do this. But I'm doing this, and I'm struggling right now, so I feel like i got to hustle. But I'll, I'll, I'll try my best to understand your situation and be more sensitive to it. Man, it would have been so much better if I said that. But I didn't. You see, if you want to give control over your life to God, it's about you admitting your faults and your weaknesses. When was the last time you've ever done that? When was the last time you've ever done that in an argument with somebody that you've had that, a relationship that you were actually close with? Because we're so quick to look at the faults and weaknesses of the people we don't like and we're fighting with, right? We're not quick to look at where am I wrong in this? What are my weaknesses? And can we just admit it? When we do that, we not only will be able to bring reconciliation with God, but with other people, we have peace when we do that. But you know what the cool thing is? If you can start admitting your faults and your weaknesses, God is going to use you to bring reconciliation with other people. That's the cool thing. And Jesus calls those people peacemakers, right? Look at what he says in Matthew 5, 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Do you, like sometimes I used to really struggle to find my identity in being a child of God. Like I know up here that I'm a child of God, but I have no idea that I'm a child of God through my heart. Do you believe that you're truly a prince, a princess to the king of kings and lord of lords? Do you believe that? Many of us, we struggle with it. We know it here theologically, but we don't know it with our hearts. The reason why is because we're unwilling to admit our faults and our weaknesses. And once you're able to do that, once you're able to admit your faults and your weaknesses and whatever relationships that you might have, even your faults and your weaknesses to God, Jesus says that my strength will be perfected in you. And when you start to operate in God's strength, you really know you're a child of God. It affirms your identity in being a child of God. And that's why peacemakers will know that they are truly children of God. And so will you admit your faults today? Will you admit your weaknesses? Because if you keep operating out of a place of strength, you're going to have a lot of anxiety in your life, a lot of unrest. And the reality is this. Even though you have some people in your life, you're going to feel incredibly lonely. Because unless we're willing to be vulnerable, like Jesus was in that manger, came as a baby, you're not going to be able to have real deep relations with anyone, and especially with God. I love Tim Keller, what he says about Christmas. Here's what he says. Tim Keller is a pastor out here in New York. He says this, as Christmas therefore means the increase of peace both with God and between people across the face of the world. The incarnation will transform our unrest into peace. And the last thing about what Christmas will teach us and why it's a faith foundation is that it transforms our fears into hope. It transforms your fears into hope. All right, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. 
Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord surround, a glory of the Lord surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The beautiful thing about the Christmas story is that our fears, we all will struggle with fear. It's not an end to our fears, but the great, the great news is this. Our fears will no longer paralyze us. In fact, what happens is that because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our fears become fuel for hope. That's the cool thing. And hope is confident expectation. That's what it means in the Greek, confident expectation. I know you know that kind of hope. You know that kind of hope because you know why? All of you will go to sleep tonight in hopes that you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and be able to live your life. That's confident expectation. That is the kind of hope you can have, meaning the fear that sometimes you struggle with, that's going to become fuel for you to have that kind of hope, that kind of confident expectation in God. What you see here is that there's a sort of a common motif in the Bible that when people connect or when they're in the presence of God, they're just naturally afraid. They get really afraid, right? And many times you hear angels, Jesus, they'll say, do not be afraid. Why do they get fearful? Why do we naturally get fearful when we're in the presence of God? Because many times when you encounter God in that kind of way, in that genuine way, we lose control. We don't have control over that. And because we don't have control over that, we get afraid. A lot of us, we struggle with that even till this day. A lot of you are afraid to give God full control over your life. Why? Because you're afraid of what he might say or tell you to do, right? There is a natural fear of that. We all have that. And that was not how God intended it to be. Because when you read the first chapters of Genesis, um, uh, Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God. They never had fear when God visited them in the garden. They were always connected with God. And so it's our brokenness and it's sin that causes us to want to take control of our lives. And when we're living in that kind of control and God comes upon us, many of us, we get afraid. But you don't have to be afraid. Because that fear, God wants to remind you that that can become hope in your life and in my life today. And that's such a beautiful, beautiful way of us seeing it today. What do we fear? What do you and I fear today? I think the two things we fear the most is rejection and failure. Those are the two things we fear the most, rejection and failure. And so kids, you know, sometimes you feel like there's a fear that you're afraid that you might be rejected at school, that you go to school and you're afraid that maybe your friends won't accept you. Do you feel that way sometimes? That's a huge thing, especially for young people. I get it. Or do you fear sometimes that maybe you might not do well in school or you might fail in school and your parents will be disappointed in you and you feel like there's a pressure or weight on you to do well and perform well? Do you feel that, kids? Do you fear that you might not find a job when you graduate from college and you're nervous about that and that reality? I think a lot of us, we fear rejection, we fear failure, and we're constantly living our lives so that we can receive the approval of other people and so that we can constantly succeed. And I'm telling you, that's a rat race, and that's a hustle that you and I never want to be a part of or be engulfed in. I'm not saying that you should not want anyone to, like, like you. I think that's okay. There's a healthiness to that. But sometimes there's a really unhealthiness to it where you're constantly consumed. That when you put out a post on your social media, you are consumed about how many hearts you get, how many likes you get how many comments you get, right? Like we're consumed by those things, and I get it, but we got to let go of that. There's a deep sense of fear of our rejection, fear of failure, but the great thing about Christmas is that you might have those fears, but if you let Jesus come, if you give control of your life to him, he'll take that and he'll transform it into hope. 
And so fear is not necessarily a bad thing, but if you dwell on it too much, it will consume you to the point of paralyzation. And we don't want to do that. We want our fears to be transformed into hope. That's what we want. So how do we do it? How do we do it? It's in verse 10. But I'm going to read from you the New King James Version. I love the New King's New King James Version on this, all right? Verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. I love that word, behold. If you want your fears to become hope, you have to behold Jesus. Behold means to embrace him fully. And the best way we do that is by worshiping him. By worshiping him. And that's exactly what the shepherds, look what they did in verse 20. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them, all right? The, even the angels were worshiping and the shepherds were worshiping. In the beginning, remember, the shepherds were afraid, but now they're worshiping and they're experiencing some peace and they're experiencing a lot of hope. Verse 13, it says, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. We behold Jesus when we worship him. To worship God means to bend over, to bow down. That's what it means to worship him. To bend over, to bow down. Again, surrendering control of our lives to the very lordship of Jesus Christ. That's how our fears transform into hope. So what's holding you back from that? What's holding you back from beholding Jesus today? Well, you do so today so that your feelings of unrest will turn to peace and your feelings of fear, of rejection, and failure will turn into hope because it can truly happen. That's the most beautiful story of Christmas. Now, I know um, some of you are saying, well, but Peter, I've, I've done some pretty bad things. I've done some really bad things. And you're saying, like, all of a sudden, just like today, I can encounter the peace and hope of Jesus? Absolutely. It's not contingent upon what you do or what you don't do. It's contingent upon your capacity today, your willingness to behold Jesus Christ. That's what it's contingent upon. You know, the shepherds, uh, the kids, if you guys went to the Christmas experience last week, you saw there was a room there where they showed you the shepherd and you got the shepherd experience. But shepherds back in the first century, they were like late night workers and they were like low class, blue collar people. People didn't look to shepherds to see them as like somebody noble. No. And who did God go to first? He went to the shepherds. He didn't go to the leaders, the religious leaders, or the spiritual quote-unquote people of his day. He went to shepherds. When Jesus chose the disciples, he chose 12 men that nobody, no rabbi would ever choose. He even chose a tax collector, Matthew. Matthew, you know, tax collectors in the first century was so bad because they cheated their own people so they could profit from it. It was as if today, it was as if literally that if Jesus was here today, it was like him choosing a serial killer to be his disciple. A lot of you will be blown away by that. You see, it's not about what you've done or what you've did, what you've done against them. It's really about your capacity to behold him. See, Jesus saw past Matthew's life. He saw his ability to behold him. And that's the challenge. Will you behold your Jesus today in the midst of your fear so that you can encounter his hope in your life? I hope that you will. I hope that you can. You know, we're almost in the 19th year of the history of our church. Uh, April will be 19 years. We're getting ready for the 20th. I'm already thinking about that. It's been a while now. The church has grown up now. We're, we're in, a, in a better place. 
And I still remember, like, when I first started this church, I had, again, I, like I shared, I struggled with a lot of insecurities. I didn't know if I could really do this, and I wasn't sure. And I, I kept saying, God, why? Why would you call me to do this? I could have just been, like, an associate someplace else. It would have been so much easier. And I heard so clearly from God. He said, Peter, I chose you because I know you can't do this, not because I think you can. And I got to tell you, that was a very sobering thing to hear from God, to say that he chose me because he knew I couldn't. And really what I've learned over the years is that he's absolutely right, but it's just a matter of am I willing to trust in him and continue to be at a place where I can admit my faults and my weaknesses. And that's what I've learned. Whenever I've been able to do that, God's been able to use me and our staff and our church in a way that really is a pretty remarkable thing. When we hit COVID, um, the pandemic, it hit our church pretty hard. I don't know if you guys know that. It really did. And uh, it hit every church around around the world really hard. And I think people really struggle. Am I going to really come back? Uh, am I going to just keep watching online? All of that stuff, right? And, uh, and so those were challenges. And remember when we started coming back once a month and you had to register and there was like 30 people in here because we had to separate everyone. It was just, it was intense. It was odd. It, was, it didn't look normal. And uh, now that we've kind of opened up now back and everything like that, uh, just giving you just really honestly, we're like 40% down on what we normally were before the pandemic in terms of attendance. Right? And you think about that sometimes. And we had quite a bit of people that are still watching online, and, you know, that's fine. Listen, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I respect it. I really do. I respect it. But, uh, but we have a bunch of people that are watching online. We've had a bunch of people that left the church, and that's sad. They said, said yeah, we don't, we don't feel like Metro is the right place for us. And it's hard sometimes to deal with that. Like the staff and I, like, we lament the realities of that. It's not easy, right? And... Uh, you know, we were in a place where we're just realizing, uh, are we going to continue to just stay here and are we going to dwell upon the unrest that this is causing, the anxiety that this is causing, or are we just going to continue to dwell upon the fear that this might be causing our church, at least for me, that is, because I do kind of struggle with fear. And every time, what I'm always reminded of is that as long as we stay steadfast, as long as we realize that no matter what, our hope is in Jesus more than anything else, And that Jesus can give us peace regardless if he changes the circumstances or not. He's changed our perspective and my perspective. And you know what the cool things happened over the past couple of years? So many new people have come to this church. And you guys are amazing. Like really, like top-notch amazing. I'm just so grateful, honestly. And I just wish on this Christmas Sunday you would know the hope that I've learned over the past 19 years in this church. It was a rough go at it but that you would know it and that you would know the peace that God offers you today in the midst of your anxiety and your unrest. But you've got to be able to admit your faults today on this Christmas Sunday and your weaknesses. Are you willing to go there with God and with other people in your life? Because if you don't, you're not going to know what shalom is. And God's never going to use you to be a peacemaker. You're going to be a peace breaker. And it's about you getting to a place where you can learn to behold our Lord Jesus Christ. That in the midst of the fear of rejection and failure that maybe sometimes you feel and you hear that you're still going to have hope. Because Jesus Christ is our hope, no matter what. That's my hope and prayer for all of you on this Christmas Sunday. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So two things. Will you give control of your life to Jesus today so that you can experience his peace? But the thing is really this. Are you going to surrender control? 
Are you going to let go of the driving wheel and sit in the passenger side and say, okay, God, you take over. I'll just follow after you now. Will you let whatever fears you might be going through today, I don't know where you are, I don't know what fears consume you, but I know we all have fears to some degree. Will you let Jesus turn that to hope? Will you behold him, surrendering yourself fully, admitting your faults and your weaknesses? I'm just going to give you just a brief moment to do that, and I'll just pray for us. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, at the beginning of the service, we saw 15 kids come up here singing their hearts out. Something beautiful about children is that they always rely upon their parents so much. They know how to surrender control. Sometimes they fight it. We know that. But deep down, they know that without their parent, they can't live a healthy life. Father, help us to go there. Help us to get there again, believing that without you, there's no hope. There's no peace. Just a whole lot of unrest, a whole lot of fear in our life. And so I pray, God, that you would help us all on this Christmas Sunday to embrace you fully in our lives, that we would surrender control of ourselves, our life, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that we will let you, Jesus, be our king that we would surrender and follow after you, God. God, help us to be vulnerable. Help us to be open about our faults and our weaknesses so that your strength can be perfected in us. And so I pray, God, that on this Christmas day, that if there needs to be healing that needs to happen, that people would find healing in you, that if people need marriages restored, that they would find restoration in it that if folks need employment, God, that you would find that for them. And if folks need to find somebody they can marry, then God, that you would do that as well. But even if you don't, would you transform their perspective so that their circumstances doesn't hurt their faith in you? So God, I pray that you'll just be with them all. Guide them, guide us, and we thank you, Lord, that 2,000 years ago you loved us so much that you came into this world to show us what your love is truly about. It's in your name that we pray, amen.